Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us today, as he does most Mondays, is my good friend Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm Capital Alpha Partners with a look at the week ahead and whatever else is on his mind. Uh, Byron, thanks so very much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Vago. Indeed, it wouldn't be Monday unless uh, you were joining us. Uh, and before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report. And Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. And General Atomics Aeronautical System sponsors our coverage uh, of strategy. And Leonardo DRS also is sponsoring uh, our remote and virtual coverage of uh, the Euro Saturday uh, show in Paris, meeting in person this year. And sadly, uh, we are not able to join them, but look forward to doing so. Uh, in the future. And, and stay tuned for our coverage uh, tomorrow uh, with Major General uh, Peter Andrzejczyk, the Deputy Commanding General of uh, the U.S. Army, Europe, and Africa, uh, as well as TALA's CEO, Patrice Kane, uh, one of the most thoughtful executives in the, in the business worldwide. Byron, we're uh, in markup season. There's a war on. U.S. inflation is at a 40-year high, and it's dawning on the market that 10% uh, inflation uh, might not be out of the out of the question, uh, and then there are um, mounting worries that we might be hitting one hundred fifty dollars uh, for a barrel of oil, uh, and now seventy percent of economists uh, who might be a little bit late to this party uh, are beginning to think that the United States is going to tip into recession uh, next year. And again, today, as we record this midday on Monday, um, the the markets, the S and P was down two percent. So, give us your sense. Right, we talked about this. We've been talking about this weekly. We we talked about it on the Friday show. We talked about it on the Sunday show yesterday, uh, with with Ron, Sash, and Richard. So, sort of give us your sense on where you think we are right now. Well, I think the important point for me, the way I look at it, Fago, I think all this is very interlinked. You know, we tend to think about this in individual silos, but you know, a good slug of the global inflation you're seeing is really a result of the war in. Ukraine that's going on and, you know, the impact on global food supplies, the ripple effect that higher energy has, you know, not just on gasoline, but on things like fertilizer uh, costs. It's interrelated in a way that, yeah, the the market, I think, is now it's dawned on markets that, A, there's not going to be a rapid conclusion to the Russia-Ukraine war. B, you know, there's probably not going to be a concerted effort to really, uh, you know, break the <clears throat> Ukrainian food supplies out of the Black Sea to maybe that that might be one lever you can pull. Um, C, you know, the, the the tool that the Fed has right now looks like a, a very big hammer. And what's that old saying, you know, <laughs> um, about, you know, if that's the only tool in your toolbox, you know, you tend to just pound on things. And I think, unfortunately, you know, if you really- Every problem looks right, right? If if your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so for the Fed, you know, if your only tool in the toolbox is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And, you know, as much as the Fed may raise, very likely raise interest rates this week, you know, that's a pretty brutal way to get at the problems that have been stoking uh, inflation. You basically cause people to pull back on purchases, because they can't afford the financing of, of some of those purchases. That's including business too. So as opposed to actually addressing 
uh, the sources of some of these supply chain issues that have, have, you know, caused higher prices to move up in grocery stores, gas stations, and uh, I saw air travel was another one, although I think that's, that's kind of interlinked with the gas problem and also the simple fact that we're, you know, capacity shortages as well, uh, and things like pilots and flight crews. So <clears throat> it's, it's a pretty rough ride so far. I think the U.S. market is now in, in bear market territory. It doesn't look like there's a political consensus in Washington to really address these issues head on. <clears throat> there are little things that are being done, but, but not kind of a wholehearted uh, bipartisan effort to tackle these problems. Some people are going to rely on the Fed and <clears throat> the Fed, as I said, you know, could probably do more damage. And that may be what the market is, is really anticipating here. Um, you know, one of the questions that we were um, talking about uh, when we started getting into a great power competition mindset is that nobody in charge had actually any experience at a senior level with great power competition. And that's certainly the case when it comes to inflation. We heard uh, from Warren Buffett, somebody who'd been there, done it and gotten the T-shirt, 91 years old, is one of the people who remembers 77, 79. <laughs> Indeed, he remembers stuff that was in the 40s, 50s, uh, 60s uh, as well, right? I mean, one of the advantages of experience and the concern uh, that nobody in charge has experience. I mean, how big of a problem do you think that is, that, that nobody in charge has? I guess Ben Bernanke was maybe closest because he'd more closely studied, uh, uh, you know, the Great Depression and how we sort of got there. Um, what's, what's your sense? I'll put it, I'll put it this of, way. If, if no, one, no one is articulating that they have a good idea to me, how to how to solve this? I mean, other than well, the Fed's going to raise rates, but you know, and I think that the Biden administration had tried, right? Build Back Better was really supposed to get at things like accelerating um, electric vehicles, so so people wouldn't have to rely on gasoline uh, to for their personal transportation as much. But you know, it, it all died on the cutting floor in Congress and. That, that I think is is maybe what markets are also reacting to is, you know, there are some ideas out there. I, I think, frankly, some very good ideas, but there's just not a will to push forward with them, either because of entrenched political issues and interests, um, you know, and uh, that's frankly probably a lot of what goes on, uh, that why, why some of this stuff can't happen. Of course, you know, there, there are some sound <clears throat> debates that need to be held on this, but um, you know, the, the DC is not moving with alacrity, let's put it that way, uh, to, to try and, and address these problems. And I'll say one other thing, you know, <clears throat> inflation is not just a US problem, it's a global problem. Um, and frankly, some of the inflation rates you're seeing elsewhere in the world, you know, the US is really having a fairly moderate uh, bout of inflation compared to certainly right. developing parts of the world where the food and energy you know, double barrel shotgun that's going off is, is really going to be very harmful to them. Uh, and uh, right, I mean, the U.S. falls uh, sort of in the middle, uh, middle of that pack. Um, there is a concern, however, Byron, that, uh, right, I mean, it's an unprecedented set of circumstances. We're coming out of a centennial pandemic. We spent enormous amounts of money uh, during the pandemic. I think people, you know, um, almost everybody got aid or assistance uh, somewhere in this process. Some legitimately, perhaps some, you know, it's clearly some illegitimate, uh, illegitimately. So there's a lot of money, supply chains, right? You couldn't give oil away. So everybody really constricted oil uh, supply. 
that's much harder to surge. And, you know, hey, if you can make money, uh, right, I mean, it goes up like a rocket, comes down like a feather. I mean, there is a concern, though, that the Fed, as well as uh, the Treasury Secretary, Janet, Janet Yellen, and as well as the White House, sort of really misjudged this and lost all credibility, right? I mean, have gone back and forth, as I'm sure you have with friends on the street, who are like, look, I mean, these guys basically have zero credibility at this point. Do they have zero credibility and how does that affect the picture going forward? Because ultimately, this is a mental thing. And the minute the street thinks it can make money on a down market, a down market happens because, right, you, you need to have a thesis. Yeah, but and my one thesis on that, is as good as another. Yeah, my, my pushback on that thesis or that narrative is you tell me how many people really foresaw a major war between Russia and Ukraine and all the... Uh, the collateral damage that would result from that. And, and so that's why I just don't buy that narrative. I mean, yeah, they, they were maybe a little, you could argue, could they have been responding more to the risks and warnings that were um, coming out of, of certainly Washington, D.C. about a potential conflict, the Russian military buildup, and, and maybe work a little harder on that. But I don't think that they were unique <coughs> um, in you know, maybe believing that a, a conflict could be avoided. So, uh, and I really do think that, you know, if you take Yellen's or um, some of the Fed's comments in 2021, you know, I don't recall anybody saying, well, you know, there, there could be a major inflationary risk for war uh, in Ukraine where we're going to see cuts in uh, significant cuts in food and agricultural exports. Uh, a surge in global energy prices to levels we haven't seen in generations, you know, that, that just wasn't in the cards. So I, th I think people have to cut them a little bit of slack on that front. Um, let me uh, go uh, to uh, the question of at what point this starts to affect uh, defense contracts, right? I mean, I've, I've asked this question a couple of times uh, over the past uh, couple of months, right? Mike McCord, uh, Pentagon comptroller, uh, as well as uh, senior officials at the Pentagon have made clear, look, you know, defense contracting is long cycle. Uh, and, and clearly, you know, but I mean, at some point you have to make adjustments, right? You don't sustain 8.6% inflation, 10% inflation, higher energy costs um, at, at some point without seeking adjustment, right? What does that look like? At what point do we start getting it? What are you hearing from your sources as well as uh, companies uh, about the weird part about it? Yeah, that's going to happen. The weird part, you know, the market's a discounting mechanism. So, right, the market's really not talking about today. The market's saying, what's it going to look like six months from now? And- um, and you can make the case that FY23, we're not going to be at, at you know, 10 or 8% inflation. We're going to be something far below that. Again, if energy prices roll over, um, you know, I think that's the concern here is that the Fed is going to overshoot and do more damage. But if what the market is telling you is there's going to be a recession, you know, there could be stagflation, you know, that, that's obviously a potential outcome. I absolutely expect that, um, you know, there will be some adjustments in the DOD plans. The thing that I would worry about, it's not just the DOD and uh, inflation and whatever inflation metrics that they're looking at, but we've talked about it in the past on the show, Vago, uh, your, your regular show, um, it's interest rates and the rate that the U.S. government is going to be paying on that pile of debt. 
that had been accumulated, uh, you know, really in the 2008-2009 crisis, and then as a result of, of the pandemic. And I just think <clears throat> that's, we're not, we're, we're, we're still kind of in a yellow zone, um, you know, but if rates really do top up another, you know, 100 or 200 basis points, then you're really starting to look at interest outlays, crowding out the rest of the federal budget plans, and that's where you start seeing budget pressure emerge. And I think defense, you know, as it usually is, will become part of that discussion. Well, I mean, you've been paying attention uh, to the markup process. I mean, obviously, that's going to be continuing on the administration's budget request. Do you, do you, how is, right? I mean, there is a consensus there was going to be a lot more money. Uh, Michael Hurston, you know, sort of started talking about that and reflecting what we were also hearing from members privately, uh, which was $100 billion more for defense. I mean, certainly adjust. Uh, the department, right? I mean, the department on the best case scenario was saying, hey, look, make me whole on inflation and give me a couple of tens of billions of dollars. Then it came bigger numbers. Then it went to 150 billion. And now we're, you know, all of a sudden folks are more talking about debt uh, considerations uh, and or at least borrowing becoming more, more of an issue. I mean, how do you, you know, how, first, what are you hearing? What did you think was interesting in the markup process? Or maybe let's flip the question around. Well, yeah, I would agree. Do, with do you think that becomes a bigger issue faster? And should we be thinking about 100 billion plus up 50 billion? I mean, what's where, where are you gaming this now in terms of where we end up value wise? You know, I would agree with Michael. I mean, I think, you know, 80 to 100 was a stretch all along because of this defense, non defense uh, <clears throat> debate that was going on. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd cap it, you know, somewhere maybe the $40, $40 billion range on, uh, for FY23. You know, with the AGL question, well, how does that get distributed between the different appropriations categories? I mean, clearly, you know, there was some signaling in the markup process about, you know, a, a, a multi-year for 15 uh, DDG-51 destroyers. Um, that was pretty significant. And <clears throat> I, you know, we just have to wait. We're, you know, SASC is going to be the first one really out of the box with a complete look, the SASC being the Senate Armed Services Committee. Um, their full committee markup will probably get at least a summary of that on uh, <clears throat> the end of this week. Um, and then, you know, House Armed Services is next week. House Appropriations is also this week. I, I think I think the markets and, and contractors should probably be happy if you see defense investment, that's the sum of procurement and RDT&E up, you know, mid to upper single digits from FY22. You know, for me, you've got to make some adjustments because of the supplemental for Ukraine and FY22. But, you know, if you see a, a sum of procurement in RDT&E around, around uh, $300 billion, maybe $290 billion, I think that's, that's pretty good from a defense contractor standpoint. It's not going to fund all the things that are going to be needed. Um, that, that is, but that's kind of the way things are going to work here now. The interest debate, you know, and, and deficits and, and all that, um, that's probably after the midterm election, uh, you know, potentially when we again have split party control. And I think, you know, that that's, you know, the gridlock on steroids scenario. That's um, going to make it difficult to see those kind of increases push through <clears throat> unless there's some crisis that overrides everything. Do you expect another budget control act? Should um, we be? I think there's going to be something, lines? you know, there's a chart that I've used that shows when, when deficits are, uh, you know, they run at 5% or more of GDP. Now, again, you know, a recession, 
<clears throat> well, gee, that's going to lower your, your GDP assumptions, your, your receipts assumptions. you know, what kind of incremental aid? We're at a super low unemployment rate, um, you know, but recessions in, inevitably have uh, societal impacts that the government usually steps in to try and ameliorate. So <clears throat> there's a range of things that I think are in the air right now. Uh, and there's going to be an initial reaction that defense is a safe haven uh, when, when markets are getting clobbered here. But, you know, if you if you play some of these strings through and think about higher rates and, you know, just the, the dynamics of we got a lot of debt and now it's going to cost more to 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 um, to pay it down. Um, that that is something that will inevitably weigh on defense. I want to try to go to uh, the Ukraine uh, war. Um, where where are we going with this? Um, I mean, it's uh, an extraordinary plea from the Ukrainian government from Kiev, um, right as the NATO ministerial uh, arrives for help. Um, I mean, obviously, all the help that they've asked for, they have not gotten, and the help that folks have committed has not yet arrived. Um, or, or the pace has been slow, supply lines are long and stretched. Uh, the government has now said a couple of hundred Ukrainian troops are dying each day, um, several hundred more wounded. Um, it's a grind for the Russians, but there are more Russians than there are Ukrainians. Um, and ultimately, Vladimir Putin's calculus is he can outlast this. Um, there are those who are a little bit concerned watching this, right? Ukraine, be careful, don't have your army cut off uh, in Severodonetsk. Uh, because there is more fighting that's going to be coming, um, right? I mean, don't lose your army at this point, because that would be bad, whether through casualties or by being nipped off in a salient. Where are we, uh, Byron, as the NATO alliance prepares to gather um, and the Ukrainians call for more assistance? Well, yeah, and the, and the assistance they're calling for is basically, you know, it's replacing the kit in, in their in their army. I mean, you know, 2000 armored vehicles, 500 tanks. Uh, I forget the number of, of multi-launch rocket systems and total artillery pieces. But, you know, I think what you're seeing is <clears throat> finally, maybe an admission that they have taken pretty significant casualties. You know, there was this narrative that, wow, the Iranians are really, and the Ukrainians are really kind of cleaning the clocks of the Russian military. And I think it's probably been more balanced, certainly in, in what, the Russians have been now in this latest phase have been able to inflict on the Ukrainian forces. And it's just, you know, the longer this war went on, um, the more you're going to find, I think this would be true of any major conflict. Um, you know, people are going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel for what they can find uh, to sustain their military effort. I know there were comments last week by uh, Ukraine's deputy head of military intelligence reported in the Guardian, where he said, we're, we're using five to 6,000 artillery rounds a day. Uh, and Ukraine doesn't have the domestic uh, defense capacity to do that. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, meeting with the Ukraine contact group in uh, Brussels this week. You know, are you really going to try and start flowing this material? And, and then I think Vago, you know, we keep talking about this, but this has to have major repercussions for how the U.S. and Europe think about their own industrial bases and, and where you're going to start putting in the ability to flex, because this isn't going to be the only war in the 2020s that, that might place similar demands, if not even greater demands. Um, you know, yeah, you, you can send them kind of surf plus kit, um, M777 howitzers, you know, older M113s. 
uh, you know, people tend to have a bit here, a bit there uh, lying around, but, you know, do you really have the capacity to provide uh, the Ukrainians with what they're going to need to stay in this fight uh, for the next six to 12 months? And then, and then again, how is that going to impact our, our, I'm saying the US and Europe, our collective assessment of what we're going to need? And I just think these are going to be, DOD is clearly thinking about this. Um, and Congress, you know, some of the language that was put in the House, uh, the Senate mark, no, the House markup, the subcommittee markups, um, also were, hey, you really need to start looking at these industrial bases. I would hope that <clears throat> these aren't, you know, months on end that these go on, but these are very, very quick reviews because <clears throat> these kind of losses that Ukraine is sustaining, uh, you're going to have to do a lot more faster. Speaking uh, of that, right, I mean, and, and we've heard, for example, on Javelin, Javelin production, Stinger production, uh, these are multi-year projects in order to get ourselves back to replenishing uh, the, our stocks that have been uh, de- depleted, right? I mean, we get to 4,000 weapons a year in a couple of years, uh, as opposed to doing it in, in, some, uh, in, a, in a faster uh, timescale. And again, it always harkens back to conversations you and I used to have with Frank Kendall when he was ATNL, where he would say like, hey, well, what if the next war is, is a long war and is right. not the short, sharp uh, conflict that everybody assumes can can be fought out of stockpiles at a time when we didn't have those stockpiles, right? I mean, so there was some focus uh, on, on this. Um, obviously, he's now Air Force Secretary. Um, let me take you to the markup itself, right? I mean, what are the things that jumped out at you? Because time is running uh, short, and I want to ask you about markup, CAE, as well as the week ahead. Go ahead. Well, I think you know, maybe, maybe it's some of the things that didn't appear in the markup. Uh, you know, there really, there really wasn't language. Well, these markups, you know, the language that gets produced by the subcommittees is really pretty generic. Uh, you know, they're, they're, it's rare that they're real budget numbers. I think the only one that jumped out to me was $250 million for another L-class, uh, you know, another LPD-class amphibious ship. Uh, that Hask wanted to put in that, I think was at the top of the Marine unfunded priority list for FY23. So no, the, the real devil in the details is always going to be the full committee markup. And, you know, for better or for worse, <clears throat> there tends to be a summary that's not always complete. It's certainly far from complete in, in all the detail. And you really have to wait for the full uh, bill report and bill text uh, as this thing goes to the, the floor. Um, so that could take take a couple of, hopefully a couple of days, and maybe a couple of weeks, really depending on, on the calendar. Um, but I'd, I'd look at, you know, it seemed like there was some headway on acceptance of retiring uh, older platforms. Uh, the cruisers, I think JSTARS came out positively, uh, you know, for, for things that DOD wanted to divest um, that that Congress said, okay, you know, we, we accept some of those arguments. But um, but I, I always think some of the, the subcommittee markups, the way they're released, it's, it's just premature. You know, you really have to wait for the full, the full, uh, full mark to see what they're really doing. Any, anything else that we should be uh, tracking before we go to the week ahead? Well, Center for New American Security has their big uh, uh, three-day security conference this year. Um, I think the, among others, uh, the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, Adam Smith, is going to be speaking there. A uh, lot of very thoughtful and interesting panels um, uh, that, that they'll have. Uh, Euro Satori, which you mentioned at the top of the hour, you know, there have already been some pretty interesting product announcements by, uh, for example, Roy Mattel on a Panther 
tank uh, with a 130 millimeter cannon on that thing. So uh, th there's news flow coming out of Euro Satori that's going to be interesting. Um, and, then, and then obviously the markups, you know, what, what, what may or may not be said by House Appropriations and then what, what should be said by this uh, Senate Armed Services Committee and their mark. Uh, indeed. Uh, very, very quickly before we go, uh, you were at a CAE uh, market day, obviously one of the world's leading training and simulation companies. Uh, fascinating to watch. Uh, walk us through what you what jumped out at you as being particularly interesting. Well, you know, I really focused on the defense side because obviously they also address uh, simulators for the business and civil aviation sector. But on the defense side, you know, I think the message was, we're going to grow faster than the overall uh, rate of growth in defense markets. For me, I thought what's interesting is they're not just talking about military training and simulation. They really are moving into kind of JADC2, more broadly in the, in the C4 ISR uh, domains. And I, I suppose if you can write software or code <clears throat> Uh, to create a simulator, you can do the same thing to network different devices and provide a common picture. They already have a, a contract for that with uh, SOCOM. So they have some pretty interesting aspirations to grow. Um, they're, they're interesting because they're also kind of another one of these multi-domestic companies where, yeah, they've got a U.S. footprint, but they're Canadian-based, they're global in, in scope. And they're platform agnostic, uh, so I'm I'm always thankful when companies hold these kind of investor days because you know you're not just hearing from the top two people; you're really kind of getting some more insight into what their <clears throat> their division presidents are thinking. And uh, you know, it takes time from everybody's schedule, but and it's also it was just particularly nice to do these back live again, uh, rather than uh, all of us standing behind a our computer terminals and, and uh, hoping Zoom doesn't crash. Uh, exactly, uh, Byron. Uh, indeed, more more to look forward to for Farnborough, right? Uh, seeing Absolutely. everybody live, live and in 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 person, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, you know, folks can get into the United States without testing. I know for some that's absolutely uh, terrifying. You know, I mean, the interesting thing about this is we know so many people who've had uh, COVID, and the question is how much of this is being reported, right? I mean, at one point we were tracking it, and at this point we're sort of not tracking it at all, are we? No. Well, everybody's doing home tests. I mean, I had COVID in, in early April. I, I did get a PCR test because we were traveling overseas, but, uh, you know, I'm, I still have a little pile of uh, <laughs> expended uh, home antigen tests uh, with, with different shades of lines on them as, as a reminder. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we all get back to normal, but, you know, I think this is just going to be something we're going to live with. Uh, yeah, and and they make great Christmas ornaments too. Uh, by the way, we have, we have one. My daughter, yeah, that's going to go in the Christmas tree. So, another story. <laughs> that's awesome. She's very creative, by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks very much, Byron. It's always an honor and pleasure having you on the program. Really appreciate it, and look forward to having you back on again next week. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, Fargo. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. 
Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report, and check us out on LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship, and we'll see you again tomorrow.